And as you're getting settled in, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. After a couple Sundays away from our study in the book of Nehemiah because of the Certainty Conference, we're back in it today, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about what the Lord has for us this morning. Um, and since it's been a couple of weeks, let me, let me kind of bring you up to speed a little bit on where we're at and what we've seen so far in, in this study that we've titled Building for the Future. And so we're looking at Nehemiah as that example, right? That example of, of being the right man in the right place at the right time to do the work of the Lord. And, and we're challenging all of us to be a Nehemiah in our lives and in our home and, and in your school and in this church, wherever it is that God has placed you in, in all the roles that you happen to find yourself in. And we've already learned that in order to be that right person, it, it has to start with a burden. But it can't just be any burden. And it can't even just be your burden. It must be God's burden. You must see the burden that God has for you, for your family, for your friends, for this church, and, and make it your own. Fit into what God's doing in that place. You know, Nehemiah heard the report from his brother about Jerusalem and how the walls were torn down, the gates were burned with fire, and how the, the, the groups of Jews that had returned from exile and they were living there, they were living in chaos. And, and Nehemiah had this comfortable job, right? He was the cupbearer for the king of Persia. And so he, he had a comfortable position. He was in a position of influence, living in the comfortable palace. But that report burdened him. And because Nehemiah knew how God felt about Jerusalem and how God loved that city, he allowed himself to get uncomfortable even in the midst of, of his own personal comfort. And that uncomfortable feeling led to action. So Nehemiah sought out the Lord and, and asked if he could be a part of the solution. Right? Something needed to happen and he wanted to be a part of, of helping. And we studied Nehemiah's prayer at the end of chapter 1 and used that as a model for how we ought to approach the Lord in those types of situations when we're looking to, for, to build, to looking to build for the future. And that model prayer acknowledged God's worthiness. It, it, it involved accepting the wrong and then affirming his word, praying it back to him and then asking him to lead us in the way we should go. That's how Nehemiah prayed. And it's a good example for us. And then when we got into chapter 2, we saw how we ought to partner with God in prayer. Because building projects like that, missions like that, don't happen overnight. And so you've got to be patient and wait on the Lord. But, but while you're doing that, you're, you're not doing nothing. You're getting prepared. And you wait on the Lord in expectation so that you're ready when he is. And that was Nehemiah. Nehemiah was ready to go. When God was ready for him to go. And God granted Nehemiah some even miraculous favor with King Artaxerxes. And the, and the king permitted him to return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding that city. And, and listen, that fact alone was, was pretty amazing. Because it was Artaxerxes that had stopped the rebuilding, uh, the rebuilding project under Ezra 13 years prior under counsel from those who who didn't want to see God's people and God's city restored. You can see that in Ezra 4.23. It 
says, Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahab and Shimshai the scribe and, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem under the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. And so this same king had stopped progress earlier, and then they were able to pick it back up later in the book of Ezra. But this is a guy that he was influenced by, by some people that didn't want to see um, the Jews back in, in, in a strong position. But in spite of Artaxerxes' hesitancy there in the book of Ezra, we saw last time that not only did he allow permission and was going to help facilitate Nehemiah's uh, path and sending letters so, so no one could stop him, not only was he going to do that, he was going to pay for it. And so there's been quite a, quite a change. And listen, that's, that's just how good our God is. That when we are in his will and functioning in the way he wants us to function and, and, and seeking his will, listen, he can do some amazing things that people, people would never expect. So in our passage this morning, we're going to see Nehemiah go. He shows up. In Jerusalem, he takes off, he finally arrives. And that trip from the palace there in Shushan to Jerusalem was eight to 900 miles. So, you know, kind of like a trip from, from here to Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Jacksonville, Florida. You know, and, and obviously our boy wasn't hopping on a plane. He wasn't jumping in a car. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. And so this trip took some time. And, 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 and we saw last time how he had already waited four months from the time he heard this report to the time he was able to have that conversation with the king. And now he's going to take off on, on this long journey. And, and it was rough terrain. They were traveling as a group. And I don't know how long it took because the Bible doesn't say, but it was very likely around a couple months. And what we're going to see this morning is that when they get there, even though, again, he had waited four months, now he's taken a trip that's taken maybe even a couple months, when he get there, you would think that he'd be so excited he's ready to just jump in and get to work. I mean, after all, he's doing the Lord's work. He wants to get going. But what we're going to see is that's, that's not what he does. He actually pauses for a minute. He doesn't start with work. He starts with an evaluation. And there are a few things that we're going to learn about that we see Nehemiah evaluate. And they provide for us a good outline as we look to build our lives and our homes in this church for the Lord. And there are things that we need to evaluate as well. So I've titled this message, The Preparation of Evaluation. Because in order to be fully prepared for the mission, this is where you start. You start with evaluation. You've got to get God's viewpoint before you just go attacking things all willy-nilly. That could get you in trouble. There's a danger to that. You see, when it comes to this type of mission, too many people just jump right in before they know what they're up against or what they need for the work. And, and it, it even comes from a good place many times. It comes out of exuberance and excitement to work for the Lord. But there's a process. And Nehemiah understood the danger with moving too fast and being premature in his actions, even though he had waited now probably even six months. And listen, you know how that is. How many of you have made the mistake of starting something, some DIY project or whatever, and you started it and you jumped in before you really gave the proper time and energy to evaluating and researching and planning? Right? Yeah, yeah. Me too, Mike. I'm with you. Thanks, brother. 
And how'd that work out for you? Uh, listen, I know the answer because I know how it worked out for me. This is, this is kind of me and Jennifer to a T here. I mean, we're getting better as we have advanced in age. But we learned plenty of hard lessons uh, the, the, on the way, that's for sure. But listen, that, you know, a DIY project is one thing. But when we're talking about spiritual issues, the stakes are even heightened. If you mess up your bathroom floor, well, that's one thing. But if you mess up the spiritual mission of your home, that's another. So let's learn from Nehemiah this morning, the, the preparation of evaluation. We're back in chapter 2. We're going to pick up the story where we ended last time in verse 10, and then we'll read down through verse 16. So Nehemiah has approval from the king. He has the letters to prove it. So he comes to Jerusalem, and we read in verse 10, When Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was, a man, there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem. I was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, into the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. I mean, it's just rubble, broken down. They couldn't even get through. Verse 15, Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and, and then we'll get into, into our study. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just want to thank you so much for who you are, for, for, for sending your Son to, to die for our sins, to give us an opportunity um, to have an eternal life in you. And then, not only that, you gave us your word, your, your, your personal word to us. And, and so, Lord, we have so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning as we get into your holy word, Lord, that, that you would teach us, your Holy Spirit would be the teacher this morning, that you'd move me out of the way, and that you would speak clearly um, and authoritatively in, in, in and through uh, your word and speak to our lives. Lord, we're all here. We're all at different spots in our lives, and it's the beauty of of your word, even in that situation, you have something to say to every single one of us. And so, Lord, I pray that, that, that you do that this morning. I pray that everything is said is true to your word. I pray that it is all to your honor and your glory. And we're going to ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, so this is a cool story. I mean, the, the whole book of Nehemiah is a cool story, especially here early on. And so Nehemiah lands in Jerusalem, again, something he's been praying about for months. And as he lands, he begins preparing for the work by evaluating the situation. And like I said, I've already told you, this provides a great outline for us as we begin to evaluate the situations in our life. And, 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 and I'll say here at the beginning, you know, Nehemiah does this as he starts the project. And we, of course, should do that as well. But, but these things we're going to see this morning are, are things we should sort of always be evaluating. 
in our life. These are just good principles to keep in mind as we're moving through our journey with the Lord. And, and, and there's some things we always just need to be considering and contemplating. And, and the first thing that we see is, as you look to build your life, the first lesson that we get from Nehemiah in the, in the preparation of evaluation is you need to evaluate the people around you. You need to evaluate the people around you. You see, right from the beginning of Nehemiah's ministry here, we see that he has people for him, and he has some people against him. And Nehemiah knows it. And so he makes some decisions accordingly. Look back at verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And then jump down to verse 16. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So Nehemiah, not surprisingly, has a bunch of people around him. And the first ones we are introduced to in this section of Scripture are Sanballat and Tobiah. And we talked about these guys briefly last time as, as we studied Nehemiah. We, we ended with those guys and we're picking up with them this week. And we're going to talk about them in more detail next week. We're really going to see them in full force in chapter 4. So I'm going to save the details of who they are and how they were trying to stop Nehemiah and this project for those upcoming weeks. But here's what I want you to see today. You must know that anytime you are trying to do a work for the Lord, especially if it's a new work coming from a new you, there are going to be people that don't like it. There will be opposition. Because Nehemiah was preparing for the work, because he was looking and evaluating, he knew it. He saw through these guys, and here's how I know that. I know it because of the very first word, the two-letter word at the beginning of verse 11, so. You see, in verse 10, that verse says that Sanballat and Tobiah were grieved exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. But, it, but here, it, there in verse 10, it doesn't say that they said it out loud. Okay, not at this point. Now, by the time we get down to verse 19 of this same chapter, they're making their feelings known loud and clear. And they're openly mocking and laughing the work. But in verse 10, it just says they were personally grieved. Now, maybe they made it known, but it doesn't say that they did. So we can't be sure. It appears to me that they were just within themselves, that they were kind of undercover still at this time. But, but either way, I mean, Nehemiah knew who they were, and he knew that Ammonites and Moabites weren't friends of the nation of Israel. So he knew this, and so he was able to see through them, which is why he waited to check out the city. And even when he did, it was a secret mission at night. And again, I say that because of the word so to begin verse 11. And, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but, but let me give you a very quick English lesson. It's been a minute or so for some of us. The word so is a conjunction here, and it means for this reason or therefore. So or 
therefore, the reason that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem and waited three days before doing anything, verse 11, was because Samballot and Tobiah didn't like what he was doing, verse 10. You see, he was evaluating the situation, and specifically, he was evaluating the people around him, both friends and enemies. And like I said a minute ago, if you're trying to do a work for the Lord, if you're trying to build your life, if you're trying to build your home and your family, all for the glory of God, you will have those that oppose you. This is something you see all throughout Scripture, right? I mean, from the very beginning, Abel had Cain, and that just, it just goes from there. Relatively early in Paul's ministry, you, you read this in 1 Corinthians 16.9. He says, for a great door and effectual is open to me. That was the, the door to the, giving the gospel to the Gentiles. But not everyone loved that idea because he said there are many adversaries. And at the end of Paul's ministry, as he's giving his final charge to Timothy, he, he said this in, in 2 Timothy 4.16, referring to his own ministry. And my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it be not laid to their charge. And, and what you need to understand is that if you're living your life for the Lord, you're, you're going to have people, first of all, that outright oppose you and fight against you. That's the Sanballas and Tobias. But they're also going to have people that you thought were friends. And while they might not outright oppose you in the open, they aren't with you and they aren't for you. And you find out that they really weren't your friends after all. And because of that, because we know that Satan is at work, you should constantly be evaluating who you're spending time with and who you're listening to and who has influence in and over you. Because sometimes, like I said, the, the, opposition, the opposition is in your face and is clear. But sometimes the opposition is sneaky. And they're opposed to you, but they don't want you to know it yet. And listen, if that's the case, they're just following their leader's path. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, there's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You see, listen, and I think this is on your outline sheet. Not everyone who is by your side is on your team. And that's a lesson some people in here need to learn this morning. They don't want from you what God wants from you. And they may be family, they may be even friends that you've had for a long time. I mean, God forbid, but they may even go to this church. But if they're not going where you're going, you're going to have to ask yourself some hard questions. And maybe make some hard decisions. And maybe, just maybe, you need to listen to Solomon this morning, who said in Proverbs 9:6, forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding. And the reason why is because of what Solomon also said in Proverbs 13:20: He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And that destruction thing is something you should want to avoid. Some of you have already been down that road, and you know what I'm talking about. 
who you spend time with and who you allow into your life on an intimate level, it matters. There's no doubt about it. Because, because here's the truth. The, the devil uses human agents in his work to stop the building projects in your life. So there may be people in your inner circle of acquaintance or even on your row right now, and they won't like it if you actually start living for the Lord. You see, the sad thing is, is that some of the greatest enemies of the church go to church every Sunday. Not everybody goes to church to praise the Lord and, and to hear from Him and to learn of His Word. But don't let that discourage you. Because it, it just becomes a matter of perspective. So, so let me give you the right perspective. Let me give you the right way to look at it. One of the ways you can know that you're headed in the right direction is because opposition arises to make it harder. Just like Paul, if you're moving through a door that God is opening for you, especially if you're at a critical point in your life and, and you're evaluating kind of everything and you're making some changes and you're, and, you're, and you're wanting to head in the direction with the Lord, Satan is going to try to stop you one way or the other. And using people around us that's one of his main tools. So evaluate. Evaluate the people around you and spend time with those who are going the same way that you're going. Those who are serving the Lord. Those who want the best for you. Even if they get back nothing in return. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise. So when it comes to this point, here's what I want you to ask yourself. And then I have a question that goes along with each of our three points this morning, and they're all related to your willingness to be a Nehemiah and build your life and, and your home, be a part of helping us build this church all to God's glory. And so, so here's, here's the question for this point. Are you willing to walk? Are you willing to walk? And by that, I primarily mean walk away. But for you, it might also mean walk towards. So you clearly need to walk away from the Sam Ballad and Tobias in your life, even if you thought they were your friends. Listen, Nehemiah knew those guys weren't. But sometimes we have people that we thought were friends. Turns out they're not. Are you willing to walk away from them? Because the truth is, if you can't do that, you'll never be a Nehemiah. The, there's just too much opposition in your face. But maybe there are some people that you need to walk towards. It might not be enough to just walk away from the bad influences. You might need to walk towards some good ones so that you have accountability and encouragement to keep going and to keep fighting. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where no counsel is, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. So you've got to evaluate those around you and make decisions accordingly and biblically. And then there's a second aspect to this point that I want to hit on very briefly, and, and this is really for leaders, and, and leaders in all areas of life, leaders in the church, leaders outside the church. Nehemiah is a great book on leadership and leadership principles, and, and I want to give you one here, and this is related to those who are actually on your team, because we saw with Nehemiah that he took a few men with him on, on this secret night mission, right? That was verse 12, but here's the key. It was only a few. So as a leader, you've got to know who to keep in your inner circle. Even Jesus lived that 
he had the 12, but then there were the three, right? Peter, James, and John. But it doesn't even stop there. There was actually one, and it was John. According to the Bible, John was the one whom Jesus loved, and that's not to say that he didn't love the others. He absolutely did, but it signified a special relationship that he had with John. But then even beyond the fact that Nehemiah knew who his inner circle was, those that he took with him, he was still careful not to share his vision and share his whole burden too soon. We saw that in verse 12 and then again in verse 16. This is what he said, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Not even those who, who were riding along with him. Now, I suspect he told them something. But at this point, the full vision and the full burden was just between him and God. And listen, this is something that I've learned firsthand in life. Some leaders are too quick to share things. And to share their vision and all that God has put on their heart. And there's a danger in that. Because as we're going to get to, you need to confirm first that this is actually where, where God wants you to go. Sometimes you think it is, but, but God's just moving you in a direction and he's going he's to redirect a little bit. He just needs to get you moving first. And so you need to continue to evaluate things and you need to actually know that this is where God, ha where God is headed, for, headed you. And let me just say, it's too soon if you haven't done all your homework yet. You see, Nehemiah, had, at this point, he hadn't seen the city for himself yet. And he was going to be able to tell them soon enough, but the timing needs to be right. The last thing you want to do, especially as a leader, is get out ahead of God, even if it's a good work. So for all the leaders out there, be careful, be cautious, be patient, wait on the Lord and his timing. Saying something's too quick. And moving too quickly can get you in trouble. I've, I have seen it happen. So evaluate the people around you. And evaluate all that you're saying to them. But, but you can't stop there. You can't just look at others. You must look at yourself too. So second, you need to evaluate the power in you. Evaluate the power in you. Now, this gets to everything that everything we've been talking about these past couple weeks, everything we talked about through the Certainty Conference, we hit on it last Sunday as we talked about, you know, what now, what do we do now after the Certainty Conference. And this is just the honest evaluation within yourself of what power are you living your life in. And in context here, what power are you serving the Lord in? Is it the power of your flesh or the power of the Spirit? Because as you know, as we've talked about over and over lately, to live a life that is glorifying to the Lord, you cannot do that in the flesh. Romans 8.8 8 tells us that. In fact, you have to reckon your flesh dead and walk and live in the newness of life, of walking in the Spirit. It's Romans 6. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, but let me remind you of verses 4 through 6. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
All right, so it's, it's walking in that newness, reckoning your, your, your life, your flesh, your will, dead, and living in his. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So this is what the Bible calls the, the power of resurrection, right? That's the picture we have in baptism, that we, we die with him and we rise again to walk in newness of life. And the Bible calls this the power of resurrection. It's, it's reckoning your life dead, living in Christ. Paul said it was one of his desires of his life in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. So it's, it's living that life. And, and, and listen, it's a struggle for all of us. It's a battle for all of us. But Paul said, this is one of my desires, that I can live that and experience that life because there's, there's power in there. He describes it further in Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 21. There Paul says, and, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? And what did that power do? Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only to the world, but also in that which is to come. So this is resurrection power that every Christian has available to them when they choose to die to your flesh and walk in the Spirit. All right? It's that simple. But on the flip side, when you decide to walk in the power of your flesh. And listen, the sad reality is we can seemingly make progress in the power of our flesh. You know, this world is set up that we can serve the Lord in our flesh and it seems like we're going somewhere. The problem is that God's getting no glory from it. And, 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 and consequently, you're getting no rewards for it. And so it's, it's all vanity. It's all wasted. It's going to burn. Because it's done in the power of your flesh. And so when you decide to do that, you miss out on the resurrection power that is in you. So you have certain level of power, quote unquote, in your flesh. It's nothing compared to the resurrection power that we have in, in Jesus. And so it's up to you at that point, you know, what you're going to do. It's a decision to make. And this is what you need to evaluate and consider this morning. But as you're looking at your life and you're looking at the struggles and, and so many times it's because we want control, even maybe subconsciously, we'll decide to try to take it into our own hands. And if you're contemplating that, let, let, me, let, me, um, let me give you something to think about. Whatever situation you're in right now, if it's not greater than a dead Jesus, then it isn't too much for God to handle. And listen, I'm not trying to insult your situation. I'm just trying to let you know that if it's not more dire and negative than a dead Jesus in a grave three days with a stone in front, then your situation is not too hard for God to handle. So why would you want to try to handle it yourself? Please understand that you have access. And as you reckon your flesh dead, then you're able to tap in to that resurrection power and consider resurrection power for a second. The cross did kill him, didn't it? The, Joseph did bury his body, didn't he? The women were bringing spices to embalm him, give him a proper burial, weren't they? 
But Jesus came back after everybody else thought it was over. That's why you can never give up on a child of God. If at some point they just tap into that power, everything can be made right. That's why you can't give up on your situation. And there's a shame of Christianity today. When you try to handle it yourself, you're going to fail. And many Christians live their lives laying down even though Christ is standing up on the inside of them. So you've got to evaluate what power you're going to use. And there's only one that glorifies the Lord. And I, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, fine, I get it. We've talked about this a lot lately. But what does this have to do with Nehemiah? Well, I'm going to show you. But for this point, you've got to see it in picture. So go back with me to verse 11. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Okay, so we, we talked about that. He knew Sanballat and Tobiah were against him, so he laid low for a bit. But it goes way deeper than that. Because we know three days has a special association in the Bible. And it's, and it's, it's related to Jesus' death and resurrection. And now look at verse 12. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, was there three days, and I arose in the night. I and some few men with me. And he goes on from there. And, and I want you to see the beauty in the words of our Bible. So he was there three days. And then it says he arose. It didn't say he just took off. It didn't say he went out. The word is arose. And which sounds, at least to me, a lot like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, that says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And the picture that God is painting here is that Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, and instead of getting to work right away in the power of his flesh, instead he took the three days, a picture of dying to himself, and then he arose in resurrection power, to go do the work of the Lord. And the only way it could get done through the Lord and through his power. So I'm not going to belabor this point any longer because, again, we, we've talked about it a lot lately. But I think it keeps coming up because it's something God wants us to understand. It's something that all of us struggle with. And I told you last week, about the time I get up on that altar, I crawl right back off again. And it's hard because this isn't just being religious. That's easy. This isn't just going to church. That's easy. This is living a meaningful life and glorifying a glorifying life in his will. And not your own. Surrendering your own. Surrendering your life as a sacrifice to him. And that's hard. So the question I want you to consider with this point, again, as it relates to your willingness to be a Nehemiah, build your life, your home, your family, all to God's glory, is are you willing to worship? And, and worship as biblically defined. We, we went through that last week. Not just sing praise on Sunday. No, it's giving your life in sacrifice to him, all of you. We sing about it, don't we? I lay me down. I'm not my own. I belong to you alone. Lay me down, lay me down. 
hand on my heart, this much is true. There's no life apart from you. Lay me down, lay me down. When you sing that song, do you mean it? This is a battle we all deal with, all of us, all the time. But it's a fight that we've got to keep fighting. Because if we don't, then we cannot build for him in any meaningful way. And that is what we are here to do. And that brings us to our last area of evaluation. Because if you're actually going to do the work, you got to count the cost. So number three, evaluate the price before you. This is Nehemiah surveying the situation and, and seeing for himself all that is in front of him. Look at verse 12 again. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. So he had a group with him, but he was the only one riding an animal. All the other guys were walking. And I went out by night to the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. And when we get into chapter 3, we're going to see those gates specifically, and and we'll take time to go through them one by one and see what they mean for us and what they picture in our life. In verse 14, Then I went out to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under, under me to pass. And again, as I said this in the beginning, is it was all rubble and, and things were broken down and things were coming on top of it. And so it's like he couldn't even get his, his, his donkey or whatever it was that he was riding on through. There was no place for him to go. That's how, that's how bad it was. And then in verse 15, then, then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did, neither had I yet as, a, as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. So, so I think you can see what's happening here. Nehemiah is coming face to face with his burden for the first time. But he doesn't react to the problem, and, and it was a real problem. I mean, it, it was as, he, he had to see it firsthand. You know, he had heard the report from his brother, and he trusted his brother. He knew his brother wasn't lying to him, or at least he didn't think he was, but he had to see it for himself. And he had to check it out, and so now he's, he's seeing it. And he's seeing what is all in front of him. But, again, he doesn't react in the moment. He waits on the Lord. He waits those three days as a picture of, of spending time resting in the Lord, as a picture of reckoning himself dead. And then he goes on this fact-finding mission. And before you start to fight, this is just a good principle. You need to investigate. Do your homework. Conduct your research and know what you're getting into. Before Nehemiah began, he was determined to know both the best and the worst. Because he was counting the cost. Just like Jesus told all of us to do. Luke 14, verses 27 through 29 says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Now listen, we see this so much in church. How many people do you know, have you seen that have come 
and they've been here and they've heard the preaching of the word of God and they've got saved or they've, they've rededicated their life for the Lord and they get excited and they're, they're on fire for the Lord and then they just stop. Listen, it's because they didn't count the cost because it's going to get hard. It's not always going to be easy. And before you take those steps, you need to decide, listen, even when it gets hard, I'm going to keep going. And I don't know what that's going to mean. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I'm at least, I'm at least counting the cost now. And I'm making a decision that I'm going to take up that cross. And when those sand ballots and Tobias come, I'm not going to let them get to me. I'm going to walk away. And when the other people come that I thought were my friends, and they stab me in the back, well, I'm going to keep going. And even when it hurts and even when it's hard, you got to count the cost. So this is what Nehemiah was doing. He was obeying the Bible by counting the cost. And as part of that process, here's what he did first. This is point A. He analyzed. He studied what was, what was, what was going to work for him, what was going to work against him, what was good, what was bad. It was an, it was an honest evaluation. And listen, that is the first step in your life. If you want to walk with the Lord, analyze where you're at and just be honest about it. And in one sense, it doesn't even really matter how you got there. It, it only matters so that you don't repeat the same mistakes you made. But, but it, it, that's the only way it matters. But Accept where you are. You are what you are. And you can't change what happened yesterday, but you sure can change today and tomorrow. But you got to be honest. you got to analyze where you're at. And this is such an important point because we often fail in the face of problems because we don't conduct a thorough analysis of, of the situation, especially if it's hard. Because the truth is that many times it's much easier to just bury our head in the sand. And just act like and hope it's going to get better. And you know that is true. This is why some of you don't go to the doctor, for example. Because you don't want to know. If you analyze the situation, you may not like what they find. But you need to understand that if you do not know what you're up against, you have no chance of winning. No matter how bad the news is, your chances of changing are better when you know. If you bury your head in the sand, this is all you're really doing. You're leaving other body parts hanging in the open just so they can be kicked. Yeah, think about that for a second. Then you'll, you'll, you'll catch on. And Nehemiah was smarter than that. And he wanted the best chance possible, so he analyzed the situation. He found out the facts, no matter how bad they were. And they were bad. But at least he was honest. At least he knew what he was up against. And, and there's, there's another good leadership principle here, because in, in finding out those facts, he got in there and he figured things out himself. He did not send somebody else to do this for him. He went himself, because... In life, there are some things that you cannot delegate. You've got to be there. You've got to get in. You've got to get your hands dirty yourself. So, for example, moms and dads, 
You have got to parent your children in the, church, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Please don't trust the public school system to do it. You know they won't. And listen, don't even put that on us. We will help you. We want to help you. But ultimately, God is looking at you to do it. So when it comes to building your life, your home, helping us build this church, can I encourage you today to do some walking before you do a lot of talking? Do some fact-finding and take inventory of the need. And don't be driven by the emotion of the moment. But plan your ministry involvement. Plan how to organize your home to, look to, to the Lord's glory. Because here's the thing that we lose sight of sometimes. If a vision is important, it's not always urgent. And hear what I'm saying. That's, this is biblical. I'll show it to you. If it's, if it's important, it doesn't always require immediate action. That's why Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 2, verses 2 and 3, we, many of us know these verses, write the vision, make it plain upon the tables, that he may run that readeth it. But, but what we do a lot of times is we skip verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But the, at the end it shall speak and lie not. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. Those walls in Jerusalem had been broken down for 141 years. They were not going to be rebuilt in a day. And on a personal and practical level, a few of you need to know that you didn't mess up your life overnight. So don't expect to rebuild it in a day. It's going to take some time. And that's okay. As long as you're moving in the right direction, as long as you're being honest with yourself and, 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 and knowing where you're at and calling it for what it is and then taking the steps to change. Give it the time it deserves and don't give up too early. That's what people do and they, they, they are genuine and sincere in wanting to change for the Lord. But it gets hard. They didn't fully count the cost. And so they give up. And he's given up too early. No, wait for it. It's worth it. This is, this, is, this is what this whole point is about. Is don't give up. Count the cost. Be honest. Fight for it. But then also, don't expect to get out of it for free. It's going to cost you something. That's why you have to count the cost. That's why you have to do an honest evaluation. There's going to be maybe some hard work in front of you. And that gets to the real answer for building your life or your home. Because the truth is, it does go a step deeper than just counting the cost. You need to be willing to not only count the cost, but also spend whatever it takes. Whether that's getting rid of people in your life, that aren't moving in the same direction you're moving, whatever it is. And listen, the Bible tells us how to do this and where to find the, the, the right thing. Here, here, listen, I'm not a financial advisor at all, but I'm about to give you the best financial advice you will ever receive in your life. It's Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding. Listen, if you want to build like Nehemiah, then you need to get the truth at any cost. Whatever it is, be willing to spend it. You can't pay too much for it. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better is it 
to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than, cho- than chosen, to be chosen than silver. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And, it's, and it's, it's an exclamation point there, but it's a rhetorical question because it's so much better. Psalm 119 verse 72 says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Listen, analyze the situation, be honest where you're at, count the cost, and then pay the price. That's an investment in eternity that will pay dividends. It's the best financial advice you'll ever receive, I promise you. That will give you the spiritual eyes to see what you need to see, even in a dire situation, which leads to our second step in this process. Because after Nehemiah analyzed and he went through the gates, then he visualized. And you need to visualize your plan in action and your strategy working. Nehemiah took the time to analyze everything. He went from the west to the south to the east. But look at verse 15. And I want you to see what he does. He says, then, he's he's going through the analyzation process. Then went I up in the night by the brook. And, And so the brook was above the city. He went up by night in the brook and viewed the wall. And turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. So here's what he did. After he rode around to acquaint himself with the details and he was analyzing the situation and see, just seeing how bad it was. Then he climbed the hill so that he could see the big picture. So he could see it all laid out before him. And, and just as a, as a kind of a side note, he did all this while others were sleeping. And it was night. But Nehemiah was wide awake, and he was taking it all in. And he was conscious of the desperate need that surrounded his city, that surrounded God's city. And he wanted to see it. And that's an important point, because people who can see God's plan for their life, and they can take it in, those are the people that are awake while everyone else is sleeping. And they are planning and working while other people are comfortable in their bed. And the Apostle Paul talked about this too, because, because we are to work our light in the dark night of this church age here at the very end. In Romans, 11, in Romans 13, verses 11 and 12, Paul said, And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So can you see that? Can you see that the day is at hand? Because if you can, then you should be able to see the need. That's why Nehemiah went up above the city and looked down upon all of it to see it all together. Because when you're in the midst of it, sometimes it's it's hard to see the overall need. And he saw all that needed to take place, and he saw the need, and he saw God's hand, and how he was going to lead him. He was acutely aware of the need, but before he ever recruited a mason, before he ever laid a brick, he visualized it all. And he visualized the outcome. And if you don't see the victory and, and believe that it's possible within you, within the pow- if you're in the power of, the, of the, the, the Lord, the resurrection power, if you don't think it's possible, then you're not going to recognize it even if it's right in front of you. you got to see it working in your mind and believe that God loves you enough to help make it happen. 
Right? We all know Michael Jordan. I mean, I, I know there's another basketball player around these parts, but I believe Michael Jordan to be the best basketball player that ever lived. Right, Brenton? Amen. Yeah, that's right. This guy, he averaged 30.1 points a game for his career. He was once asked how he did it, how he was able to just consistently score so many points. Here was his answer. This was a quote. He said, there's an easy way to get, there's an easy way to get it. Break down seven points a quarter. That's two to three layups, two to three free throws. You get hot one quarter, you might have 11, 12, 13 points one quarter. That was his answer. Like, this is stupid. Why are you even asking me this? So he broke down his goal, his big goal, into, sm- into smaller goals. And he started out with a vision in mind, and he did whatever it took to, to make his reality match his vision one quarter at a time. And that's how it works. For you, here's what it means. It means you need to read the Word of God so that you can see it in the Word of God and determine that faith in the Word of God is going to accomplish what the Word of God says. So let your sight, what you see in God's word, in God's word, actually be faith. Believe what the Bible says about you, about your home, about this church. What does he want out of you? He wants the best. What's he want out of your home? He wants kids and, and a family that glorify him and that are unified together. What's he want in this church? He wants us all working together for his glory. That's what the Bible says. Believe that it's possible. Believe it to be true. I mean, that's what 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by that physical sight. Spiritual sight, which is faith. Let your faith take you to new heights because of what you see. What you see as possible when you're using his power to get it done. Visualize God taking you to victory in your battles. Because God's word says it is possible. Now, you've got to pay the price. You've got to count the cost. You've got to pay the price. You have to do it his way. If you do it in your own power, if you try to do it your own way, it's not going to work. But it, the Bible says it's possible if you do it his way. But for it to happen, you have to evaluate everything before you. You've got to evaluate the price. You've got to evaluate the people. So the question to consider for this point, again, as it relates to your willingness to be a Nehemiah and build your life, is are you willing to work? Have you counted the cost and are you willing to pay the price and then get to work? I hope you are. Because if you're willing to evaluate the people around you and walk away or toward those you need to, and if you're willing to evaluate the power in you and worship God by sacrificing your will, and if you're willing to evaluate the price before you and then pay it and get to work, God will use you, God will be alive in your life like you never could have imagined. And you'll be prepared for all that he has before you in your life, in your home, through this church. It's what he wants to do. You just have to do it his way. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed.